Father God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for remaining, being the same God uh, that you promised that you um, had been, are, and will be, Lord. We thank you for the Perez family, and we pray for baby Gemma as she continues this new journey, cancer-free. Lord, may you continue to, to, to pour your blessings and your hand and your mercy over that family, God. In your name we pray, amen. That's as good as I'm going to get today. That's probably better than what I have to say. Um, that was a highlight of, of my week, but we're going to try. We're going to try. I have a question for, for, for you guys, and the question is, how many of you are good test takers? Any, any, good, any people who like taking tests? How about math, math people? Anyone good at math, good at numbers? In school, that was kind of like the thing that you liked and you know was your strength. How about writers? We have any good writers here? There's more than, than good, any more than the last, um, the first service. There was a lot of good test takers. I do not like taking tests. I don't like multiple choice. I don't like matching. In fact, when I was in school and in, in seminary, I would strategically pick classes that I knew that more of my grade was based on writing papers. I would sit in first day of class, I'd, I'd open my, my syllabus and I'd look and I'd see, man, 60% of my grade is based on, on tests, like I'm not taking this class. So I would drop it, I'd find another class that was based more on, on writing, so much so that, that I almost tortured myself. I picked a class and the, the only thing that my grade was based on was a, was a 10 page, single spaced, 10 point font paper. If you've written in 10 point font and single spaced, it takes forever to finish. And this was using no sources, just original language and Greek and, and, um, and your thoughts and your, and your ideas. And initial, essentially, you're writing a commentary on a passage of the Bible. And that was, that was, that was pretty hard. But I still picked it over uh, a test. And for me specifically, the reason why I like to write is just because I love to get in my, in my thoughts and just get into a rhythm and I, 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 I type it out. And even if it's on paper, writing it out, I get into just this flow of, of, of just... Um, fluid thoughts and, and writing down whatever it is that comes to mind. The one thing I don't like doing is going back and proofreading what I just wrote. That's the worst part because you get done, you feel good about what you wrote. And this happens to me when I, if I write sermons, I'm feeling like super good. And then I go back and I see all the mistakes that I made. I'm not that old, but back then, spell check pretty much just told you the things that you spelled incorrectly. Now computers have gotten a little bit smarter and if a sentence doesn't make sense or it's not put in the right order, um, it'll kind of highlight and say you might want to take a look at this. But back then it was just words that were in, done incorrectly and I'd have to go back and make sure. And I, I didn't like that process. I didn't like having to work backwards. I wanted just to be finished. At Warehouse, we've been kind of going through this idea and asking the question, what is church? And in Acts chapter 15, we come to a point where Paul and Barnabas are in a point of making a difficult decision and in a sense looking at what they're supposed to do next. And so at Warehouse, we've, we've been there journeying for a year and we have a pretty good idea about what church is. We know what it's not. We know, we know it's just not the building. It's a group of people coming together, seeking out the Holy Spirit and asking what to do next. Prayer and fasting, living life through the week with each other, being there for one another. That is how we define what church actually means. 
So we've spent a year on that, and now we're looking at what it means for a church in action. What does it look like, a church that's moving in a direction, that's constantly seeking out the will of God, and what does it look like to be a church in action? And so what happens in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Paul and Barnabas begin this discussion, and Paul says, hey, do you remember those towns that we visited. See, Paul and Barnabas had been going from city to city, town to town, planting churches and communities and, and preaching the word of God, telling them about what Jesus had done. And he says, remember those towns? Well, we're, we're going we're gonna to work in reverse. Let's, let's go back to those towns and let's see how they're doing. Let's see how good of a job we did. And I can imagine the, the discussion there, and, and we'll come to, to see that there's a little bit more tension, but why should we go back? Well, there's more work to be done, but there's value in working in reverse. There's value in going back to visiting these communities. And Paul and Barnabas eventually come to an agreement that that is something that they need to do. They need to see the well-being of these churches and the people that have come and given their life Christ, making sure that the communities were healthy and thriving. But it wasn't simply that they had preached in these towns, they had prayed and fasted over assigning leaders in these towns, in these churches, appointing people to say, you're going to now be in charge, appoint you as, in a sense, the pastor, the leader of this church. And in scripture, in earlier in Acts, it tells us that these people who they chose, they were seeking out, God, who should we put in these positions? Because it was, there was going to be a moment where Paul and Barnabas would leave and this church was left with just leaders and, and needed direction and guidance. So not only were they looking to see how healthy the community was, but how well these leaders were doing. See, Jesus, in the beginning of Acts, he, he's left, he's gone to heaven and he's handed over the reins to the disciples and he says, what I have done, I have tracked time with you, I've invested in you, you go and do the same. And so now the disciples and Paul and Barnabas, now they are doing what was taught, what was taught to them as well, to these people and individuals. Leadership was established, and you could argue for the sake of illustration, not comparison, there was franchises that were set in these towns. Leaders were appointed and so one could argue that this journey that Paul and Barnabas were going to take, the, the journey in reverse, might have been more important than their initial interaction with these people, with these churches, with these leaders that they had appointed. They were going to go back and see how well they did on their initial attempt. Sure, it was God's work, but there was, there was a human element to it where mistakes could have been made, and I'm sure... We all as leaders in, in our home and in, in work, wherever we go, we, mistakes are made. And, and this was kind of a, a test for them to see how well they had done and what they needed to correct. But in relationships, the follow-up always seems to be just as or more crucial than the initial interaction. When we witness to somebody, when we tell somebody about Jesus, the follow-up sometimes is forgotten and most times is more important than the initial interaction. For years, we've 
handed out tracts to people and side of the street and told people about Jesus, but then what happens next? As Christians, we're called to be disciple makers, to journey with one another, to walk alongside and be there for one another. That's why we have church. That's why you have the people sitting next to you. It's our family. It's the people that we journey with together. We know that this idea of following up or working in reverse is true. We look at baptism and so many times we are very concerned with how many people we can baptize. There's nothing wrong with that, but some, somehow, some way we get them in the pool, we, we get them underwater and we've forgotten about them. When most cases, that is just the beginning of someone's journey and they're just beginning to know what it means to walk like with Christ. Discipleship is what we're called to do and Paul and Barnabas understood that and their job wasn't finished just by going from town to town. They had to go back and see how well they were. We know this is true in crisis. Before I was pastoring, I worked as a chaplain in the hospital, um, specifically in hospice and one of the things that we offer when someone, a loved one passes away is one year of counseling offered to the family up until the one year anniversary of, of their death. Because it just doesn't end in our initial interaction. People are hurting, they need guidance. So there's follow-up that's required, that's needed. Paul and Barnabas got that. They knew what they needed to do next. So in classic form, we, we, there's so much good that has been happening and, and they're, they're hoping that everything is gonna be great and it's been a smooth sailing so far. But like any story of success for God, Satan tries to create distraction and disruption among the people who are doing his work. Now a specific time has passed and these, these churches, they've, these people have been allowed and, and, and had a chance to grow on their own. Time has passed and they have been able to spread their wings and fly. The community is important, but so is the time we spend alone with God. See, it's one thing for a a, a group of people to continue to grow together, but what's also important is the time we spend alone with God. As Christians, we were never called or created to spoon feed each other into eternity, instead be equippers of one another. Paul and Barnabas understood that and they knew this was their time to equip for these churches, these people to equip themselves. And working in reverse was simply just to be there, not to be their crutch forever, but to see where they could help them along this journey. I'll never forget the story of a seminary professor of mine that he he, uh, he told us this story when he was pastoring. There's a lot of classes we take from biblical languages to philosophical classes to practical theology, and this was a practical theology class. And um, this pastor, he's a pastor in Texas, and there was this older lady who had given her life to Christ, and up until that point, she had really no knowledge of Scripture, no, no background of church, and their studies began in the very beginning and walked her through from creation till the second return of Jesus. And so everything was very new to her and she had an addiction, it was smoking and she knew that 
she said, God is convicting me that I need to quit doing this, but she still struggled with this. And like any good pastor, he gave her his con- contact information and said, you can call me whenever. And she took that literal. Two in the morning, he'd get a phone call and it was this church member of his and said, pastor, I'm having trouble. I have the urge, the addiction to want to smoke. And he'd pray this prayer over her that, that God take that desire away from her and all of a sudden she was okay it was the prayer that she needed to get through gets another call began to become a pattern weekly on her calling him at craziest hours of the night until one day she calls and at this point he knows who it is and uh, she says pastor it's happening again and her expectation is that he's going to pray for her because that's what's been happening And then he stops and he says, you know what, why don't you pray? And she pauses for a second. She's like, I I don't know how. And he's like, you've heard me pray a lot. And so he says, do you want me to walk you through the prayer? And so they walk through this prayer and it's her speaking the words of victory over this addiction. And she feels empowered and time passes and the calls get less and less until he circles back and follows up with this woman. And she says, I never knew how much power I had to pray. I never knew the victory that I could have and claim over my own issues. You see, what this pastor had done is he equipped her in her walk with God. He strengthened her relationship by giving her the tools that she needed. And many times in church, we hope that someone can hold our hand throughout our walk. And although people and communities are there for that, We are also called to spread our own wings, to seek our own journey. And our journey may look different. Yours may look different than someone else, than the person sitting next to you. But we are called to find our own walk, our own destination with Jesus. We were never meant to remain in a state of being spoon-fed, although that may be a season in our life. And specifically, when we're evangelizing, when we're bringing people to Jesus, when we share that name to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to people that we see in the grocery store, if our goal is simply to get people through the doors with no commitment to refine, then we're doing it wrong. Personal invitation without a personal commitment to that person is no commitment at all. The ultimate goal is that we equip one another, that we journey with and along that we allow time for them to grow on their own, but that we circle back with one another as we continue to grow in our walk and in our faith. That is when effective growth happens. A church in action equips one another, never stops learning and understanding, challenges one another. This is true in many areas of life. When we go on our own, there's a time that we're called and challenged. Either we, we fail or we fly. It's no secret. I make no secret about it. If you know me for a long time, you know that I'm a mama's boy. I own it. I admit to it. I was spoiled as a child. I got everything that I wanted. I make no apologies. But the time that I had to go to college was really difficult for me because I knew that that was getting cut off. And I made it a point when I went off to college and out of state not to ask 
our parents for money. And so I began cutting hair. And I would cut hair and it started at $5 a haircut and inflation was a real thing back then too. So it went to eight, then it went to $10. Uh, and I was making pretty good money and that's how I was able to take my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, Vanessa, out to have some fancy dinners. I was making some pretty decent money, but it was a huge area of growth in my life because I was on my own and I was, had the opportunity to grow. For those of you who have become fathers and mothers, husband and wives, that's another moment for you to figure it out. We've just spent a year as a warehouse, another service of the Forest Lake Church. New people have come. We've seen amazing growth and people giving their life to Christ. Elders have been ordained specifically who've come because of the ministry of the Forest Lake Church that we do at Warehouse. There's been so many amazing stories and testimonies that have come out of that. But here in this church, there's also a lot of heartache and pain that people are going through. Pastor Matt says it when he first came here, he said, I believe God's doing something amazing at Forest Lake Church, and I believe that, and I know that Satan knows that, and he's trying to cause as much, as much, much disruption as he can. We've been here at Warehouse for a full year, and just to give you an idea, not only at Warehouse, but in the space here, people sitting here today, some of the, these are some of the things people are going through. Financial hardship, infertility, marital issues, loss, depression, anxiety, disowned by their own family, suicide, life-threatening diagnosis, as we just saw. These aren't things I came up off with the top of my head, but these are things that pastors, your pastors, are dealing with. People coming to them with so much pain and heartache. In the midst of all that, all the good that we're doing, there is still people who need to be helped, to be checked up on, to be followed through with. And maybe God's put someone on your heart right now that you're thinking of, I need to circle back with that person. Maybe you've brought someone to church and you assume that they've been taken care of, but in fact, they need their hand held for a little while. Maybe they need to be equipped. The call to becoming a Christian, to accepting that responsibility is to share the good news, but it doesn't end there. There's value in the return. There's value in following back, circling back with the people who've given their life to Christ. So Paul and Barnabas, they have this disagreement in the return. Not so much what they're supposed to do, but who they want to bring along. See, Barnabas wants to bring along John Mark, and Paul doesn't want to. He says, John Mark wasn't with us the entire journey. He got to pick and choose where and when he wanted to come and be part of our experience, of our sharing the gospel. He wasn't there through the, through the thick and thin, perhaps facing persecution. He, he didn't get to, to go on those journeys. It was you and me. Paul and Barnabas went through the thick and the thin together. And he says, John Mark doesn't deserve to go back with us. Somewhere along the way, Paul forgot 
the grace and mercy he didn't deserve that he got. The gospel that was shared to him, he wasn't sharing and extending to John Mark. The original language uses the word deserve. He he doesn't earn the right to come with us. So Paul and Barnabas have this disagreement and it ends up that they go their separate ways. But the beautiful thing about that is, is they both ended well. They both finished the work that God had put on their hearts. Because even though they had their disagreements and they didn't see things the right way and maybe their approach was different, their focus was the same. Their commitment was to God and that's all that mattered. Their journeys looked different, but their destination was the same. That destination was to share the gospel of Jesus. This would draw a pretty big wedge in both of their relationships, but they did not let it get in the way. So what is your response if you're Paul? There are many of us who've sitting here or know of someone who's been hurt by the church for that same reason, because they didn't think the way you did. They didn't dress the way you did. They didn't worship the way you did. They didn't read the only true version of the Bible. They weren't like you. Both journeys fulfilled the will of God. Our journeys may look different, but our destination needs to look the same. Our focus needs to be Jesus. That's all that matters. Despite our brokenness, our laps of judgment, God still manages to do what he needs to do. And that's not to discourage us. We know we're broken and we're in need of saving. And scripture tells us in Philippians, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what is ahead, which Christ has set forth for me. Doesn't doesn't mean that we give up and we quit trying just because we know that we're broken because God still manages to do amazing things in the midst of our brokenness. In the midst of our weakness, God shows his greatness. So here's a question, another question for you. What do we do when someone disagrees with you? That's a pretty relevant question in a world that just loves to highlight opposition and differences. Automatically we assume when someone disagrees with our ideology or theology, we think that they must hate us or they don't like us anymore. And when we have a difference of opinion, We put up this wall of barrier that that person must be over there and I'm over here. We've been programmed to think that way and it's become a a blanket statement. We get on Facebook and we love to get in these debates and arguments. I get caught in reading them. I don't ever get involved. But I see how people get fueled and we think we're gonna change someone's idea over a keyboard. Here's my point. It's not about your community, the place you worship. It's about your commitment to Christ. That's all that matters. If Jesus is at the center of what you're doing and he is your end goal and you await his coming, that is what is most important. Your journey may look different, but your destination will be the same. Our mission at Forest Lake Church is to live 
the gospel. And here's the beautiful thing about Forest Lake Church, about our family. We have tons of different ministries. They look different. Different people are a part of them. We have different worship services to be a part of. But our mission in all of that remains the same, to live the gospel, to seek Jesus in everything we do, to have a passion for God, for people, and for service. That's at the core of everything we do, and things may look different, but our God is the same. The result of letting anything else get in the way of that commonality is a distraction from the devil to try and pull us apart. If we learn anything about Paul and Barnabas and their disagreement, is that it did not steer them away from their mission. Author John Mark Comer, he's a, a pastor who just, who's just stepped away from his church and is going on a year of hiatus of fasting and prayer off all social media just to seek out what God's wanting him to do next. He says this important quote, and this is, I'll end with this. All of us, have a center point. And for very few of us, even for Christians, that center point is God. Our center point is career, entertainment, sexuality, it's our marriage, it's our kids, it's our athletic prowess. Many of them are not bad at all. In fact, some of them are great. But Jesus is just a hobby. He's a hobby in our spare time that we really enjoy, but we just don't have the time we wished we had for him. It isn't until Jesus becomes our center point that nothing else matters. That is the center point of Paul and Barnabas. That is what their focus was in the midst of their disagreements, maybe their arguments, that was okay. It did not distract them from what they were called to do. They knew that their journeys may look different, but their destination was the same. My prayer is that Forest Lake Church, our community, makes Jesus our center point and that you make that decision that at the end of the day, he's not just a hobby, but he's your center point and that nothing else matters but God being at the center of your life. Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your call in each of our lives. And God, as we've seen in Scripture, in the midst of doing things differently and things looking different, may you be the one constant thing in our life. May you be the thing that never changes. May you be our source of strength, decision-making, loving others. And at the end of it all, may we live a life that spreads the good news in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.